Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are moving along through part six of seven parts in this rather long Bible study, but it takes quite a bit of time to cover all this ground. Um, We are looking at many years of actual history recorded for us in the Old Testament, uh, describing Israel's journey out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, which is normally referred to as the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. We're taking it to represent our journey as a Christian, where we begin as slaves of sin. We are delivered And God has made it clear in His Word, His desire for you and for me is to move us out of bondage into an abundant, spirit-filled, overflowing life here on earth, and ultimately to prepare us for a heavenly and an eternal inheritance. What What an amazing story this is of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And if you've been with us for most of these studies, I think you're beginning to see every detail in the Old Testament account, and I I hate to keep harping on this, but this is real history. This isn't some make-believe story. All of these events really took place, but behind the event, God was using it to foreshadow something even greater, a spiritual reality which would be fulfilled through Christ and in the lives of his followers. So, for instance, we saw it was the blood of the Passover lamb that broke that bondage and slavery in Egypt. Paul, writing to the New Testament believers in Corinth, he says, The real Passover lamb that sets us free is Christ. So there's a counterpart in the New Testament to every detail in this story, and that's why we're looking at it very carefully, because all of it has very deep, very profound meaning and application for our life as Christians. That being said, we want to move right along tonight Uh, We are in part six, which is entitled Conquering Seven Nations. And by the way, all of the notes and recordings for all of the previous studies are available on our website, and that is new-life-ministries.org. And you can find the outline notes, as well as recordings for all of these. If you are following in those notes, and I would encourage you to do so, we've come to page 131. Now this part six is probably the longest section in this whole study because we're looking at each one of these seven nations that were occupying the promised land God told the Israelites years ahead of time that they were going to go in, conquer them, drive them out, because they were evil, wicked, perverse nations, 
and God wanted to give their land to the Israelites as an inheritance promised to Abraham and his descendants. And we've been going one by one through each one of these nations, trying to get an insight into what they might represent spiritually for us as Christians. By no coincidence, seven times in the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, we find messages to seven churches, and seven times it ends with the same exhortation, to him who overcomes, I will give such and such. So, God is calling us not just to be pew-warming, lukewarm Christians who say, Hallelujah, I got saved 55 years ago. I'm not doing a thing for God now. I'm just waiting until I go to heaven. That's a wrong picture. God has called us to put on the whole armor of God, be full of the Spirit, strengthened with power and might, and to overcome giants and enemies and powers of darkness and pull down strongholds and all these things we read about in the New Testament. So the picture of Israel going into Canaan and having to conquer and drive out these seven enemy nations is a very clear picture for us of the spiritual warfare that we are plunged into when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we begin to follow him. I think I've mentioned this before. When I first received Christ, I really wasn't looking to join an army or to become a soldier. I just wanted peace in my life. I wanted to know that God loved me, and I was quite happy with that. But it didn't take very long for me to realize that whether I liked it or not, I was now a soldier of Christ, and I was in the middle of a fierce war. All kinds of enemies and resistance and opposition I began to experience as I followed Christ. And so, whether we like it or not, we're in a war. And we better learn how to put on the whole armor of God and how to overcome all of these spiritual enemies that the New Testament talks about. Now, hopefully we're going to finish tonight with the sixth one in this list of seven nations, which you can read uh, for yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. We want to finish up tonight with the Perizzites. We've been looking at them for several sessions, and hopefully we can complete them tonight. And last, but certainly not least, next time we want to look at the final nation, and this one is left until last for a number of reasons, the Jebusites. More about them next time, but they were actually the last and perhaps the most difficult of all the seven nations for the Israelites to finally conquer and overcome. But let's first finish with the Perizzites. Very quickly, I'm going to review, and again, if you've missed any of these, all of the recordings are available on our website, but their name has a very direct and literal meaning, which I think helps us to get some understanding of what this 
group of enemies represents. Parasites comes from the Hebrew word paras, to separate or to divide. And I think it can mean one of several things. They lived separate. They were loners. They were kind of like backwoodsmen or hillbillies we saw. But the spirit that's behind this also wants to divide us. It, it's an independent spirit. It's also a spirit that wants to come into the church to bring separation and division. And we saw that the spiritual meaning, therefore, is a spirit of independence, separation, and division. And people who are under the control of this spirit, they tend to be rebellious, they tend to be self-willed, they tend to be lawless, they don't like to be governed, they don't like anyone else telling them what to do. They're, they're kind of lone rangers, and they make their own rules as they go along. And as we've seen in the last couple of sessions, that's the spirit of the age today. That is the predominant spirit that is taking over our society. It's a self-centered, selfish, self-willed, existence where I am basically my own God. I do whatever I want. I pick and choose what I want to believe. I am my ultimate authority, and nobody's going to tell me what to think, what to believe, or what to do. And it's a very dangerous spirit, and I think we're going to see tonight in some more scriptures some of which are not in your outlines. We'll be adding a few other scriptures tonight. It's a very dangerous spirit. And the apostles in the early church, certainly Peter, Jude, Paul, John, all addressed this problem that was already quite prevalent in the early church. This divisive, self-willed spirit that rejects authority, a lawless spirit, and a spirit that wants to bring discord and division into the body of Christ. And we are looking at how to overcome this spirit. Uh, I'll run through this list very quickly to get us up to speed. Number one, very important, we must surrender to God's kingdom rule and allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, not just in words, but literally surrender to the Lordship of Christ. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders. That's not a popular word nowadays, and I'm not talking about Washington, D.C., or human government. I'm talking about God's kingdom, God's governing rule we must welcome into our lives, surrender to it, and submit our wills totally to the will of God. Secondly, very important, to, to counteract this tendency to be a loner, a lone ranger, call it what you will, um, 
basically I'm my own boss kind of a spirit. To counteract that, God has given a very simple solution. It's join the church. Get joined to the body of Christ. And we looked extensively at scriptures on that in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. There are a lot of other things we could look at, but I think we looked at enough to understand that the church is God's idea. Let me be clear about this. The church is not man's idea. The church is God's idea. It's his plan. And Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if the church suddenly becomes mine or yours or someone else's, then it's not the right church. Because the church does not belong to man. It's God's church. It's God's building. It's God's house. He's the one that came up with the idea, the whole plan, the whole blueprint is his. And the Bible says that it's a building made without hands. I like that. The church, in the end, will have no human fingerprints on it. It will be the workmanship of God. It will be God's purpose and plan fulfilled, and he will get all of the glory. Now, that leads us to the third point in our list here of how to overcome or how to combat this parasite spirit. And we read on page 131, if you're following in the notes, Submit to those whom God has placed in authority over you. Now, this is where it starts to get difficult. And you hear people say, Oh, I've surrendered to God. Jesus is my Lord, but I'm not going to follow any man. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That sounds rather spiritual. I'm just following Christ. I'm following God. God is my Lord. I'll take all my orders from God. There's only one problem. That's not the way God chose to do it. And in real life, God has established different realms of authority. And you and I will do very well in life if we learn how to submit to those authorities in those different realms of our lives. You can probably break it down into three main arenas or three primary realms where God has placed authority and he's telling you and me, submit to that God-ordained authority in that particular realm. The three realms would be, number one, the home or the family. That would include relationships between children and their parents. That would include relationships between husband and wife. And those are all examples, and we're going to look at some scriptures about that in a moment, where authority is given, and authority must be submitted to and respected. If we do not 
We do it at our own expense, our own harm. The second realm is in society. We have civil laws, we have civil government, we have policemen, we have different governors and, and people in authority that maintain order and rule in the society, and I would even include in that the workplace. We have to submit to our boss, to our employers. That's all a part of authority that is in operation in society, in the civil society. The third realm where God has ordained authority is in the church. And remember, the church is not man's invention. It's not some social club that a few people form, and then I become the president, you become the vice president, and we start bossing people around. That is not a church. The church is God's idea, and we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, he establishes apostles first, apostles, prophets, teachers, all these different ministries. He places every member where he wants the member to be, so he's in charge of every member in the church, and he establishes authority within the church, within the body of Christ. So, literally, from the time we're born, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, we are placed into different realms where authority has been established and ordained over our lives. Let's start with the simplest one of all. And again, some of these verses are not in your outline. I've added some material since this was printed out, so please bear with me as I jump around a little bit. But in Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, you know the verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I would even go a step further and say, in all of these realms that we're looking at, if you submit to the authority, if you obey those whom God has placed over you, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. And the contrary is equally true. When you and I rebel against our parents, when we rebel against civil authorities, and when we rebel against those whom God has established as leaders in the church, things do not go well with us. They just don't go well. So if you want things to go well in your life, this is a very important section we're working on here tonight. Learn how to submit to God-ordained authority in the home, in the society and workplace, and yes, in the church. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, this is not in your outline, so bear with me. 
In Matthew chapter 8, there's a fascinating story told about a non-Israelite, a Roman centurion, who comes to Jesus in, in Matthew 8. I'm going to start reading with verse 5 and go down to verse 10. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. That's good. The centurion's response absolutely amazes Jesus. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And listen to the understanding that this man had about how authority works. It's, it's very profound. Verse 9, For I myself am a man, and notice he doesn't start off by saying, I am a man with authority. He got it right. I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. You see, the only way anyone can have authority is to be under authority. That is so important, I'm going to repeat it. The only way anyone can have or exercise authority in any of these realms is to first be under authority. And that's why he starts by saying, I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. So those that were under his authority, they submitted to him. They obeyed his authority. Go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Pretty simple, but pretty profound. That's how authority works. You're first under authority, then God places people under your authority, and you're able to tell them, go, come, do this, and they obey you. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Some Bibles translate it amazed. He was blown away. Wow. What did that man just say? Now I'm paraphrasing. He was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel. Remember, this was not an Israelite. He was a Roman. I have not found any Jew, anyone in Israel, with such great faith. Really, all the man said was, I understand how authority works. I'm under authority, therefore people under me will obey me. Jesus, all you have to do is speak and my servant will be healed, because you have that kind of authority. Now, 
In Romans chapter 13, and again, I'm jumping around a bit, but this is at the bottom of page 131 if you're trying desperately to figure out where we are tonight. In Romans 13, Paul addresses the second realm, not home and family so much, but society. And notice what he says here, Romans 13, from verse 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which, has God, which God has established. I've put those words in bold for a reason. There is no authority except that which God has established. Now, you have to pause for a minute. Paul was no friend of Rome. <laughs> he was a prisoner of Rome. And yet, he's writing to the Christians there, saying, nobody has any authority unless God gave it to them. He continues, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Remember what we read in Ephesians? If you obey, it will go well with you. If you don't, it will not go well with you. And now that we're talking about civil authorities, if you rebel against them, you're going to get into trouble. You're going to pay a fine, or you might go to prison. Rebelling against what God has instituted, they will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. I hate paying taxes, but I do it. I don't agree with a lot of things the government tells me to do. And unless it is a direct violation of my conscience and the word of God, I must obey their rules and their laws. Some of them, I think, are quite silly they're quite stupid, to be honest with you, but we still have to obey them. We have to pay taxes, and he says, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
You know, Paul could have easily written a long diatribe saying, these evil Romans don't give them a cent of taxes. Boycott, rebel, protest, don't give them any money, don't pay them any respect. That's not what he says. Even these Roman authorities, ungodly authorities, pay them their taxes, give them their revenue, give them the respect that's due them, give them the honor that's due them. Why? Because it's good for you. It's for your own good to submit to authority. Now, in Ephesians, we read 6, 1 to 3 about children. Let's go back there for a minute. And Paul touches on a couple of other areas that center around one or both of these first two realms, the home and family, or the society and the workplace. In Ephesians 5, I think we're all familiar with the verses 22 to 24 and thereafter. I'm just going to read 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You see, everyone's under authority. The husband is under his head, Christ. The wife is under her head, the husband. But everybody's under authority. And he explains that in other places also. There's this chain of command leading all the way up to God the Father. Christ is submitted to his Father, the church is submitted to Christ, and so forth. But then over in chapter 6 again, just after he touched on children and their relationship to their parents, in Ephesians 6 verse 5, he addresses slaves and their relationship to their masters. Now, we don't have true slavery anymore here in America. We have a slightly different form of it. It's called an employer and employees. The employee, if you want, you can replace the word slave with employee and master with boss or employer. Slaves, employees, workers, obey your earthly masters, your employer, your boss, with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Don't just kiss up to your boss when he's around, when he's watching you. Be the same when he's not there. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave 
or free. And then he even gives a little exhortation to the masters, to the employers, to the bosses. And masters, treat your slaves, your employees, in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. That's fascinating. Did you catch that last part? He's talking now to the masters. Do not threaten your employees, for you know that he who is their master, in my Bible that's capitalized, and yours. So even the little masters, they have a big master in heaven that they must answer to, they must submit to. So ultimately, everybody's under authority. Everybody must submit to the authorities. Now, what we really want to look at now, and we started with this a little bit last time, but I wanted to kind of fill in this whole picture for you. We submit in the home and in the family. We submit in society and in the workplace. But now, what does God have to say about the church? A lot of people, they would say, okay, we understand there's authority in the family, husbands and wives and children, and i got to obey my boss, and i got to follow the rules and the laws. But I'm not listening to anybody in that church, because God is my boss. I take my orders from God. I'm not following any man. I've probably heard that a thousand times in 40 years of ministry. God is my Lord. I'm not listening to no pastor, no prophet, or anybody in the church. I'm going to take my orders from God. Sounds rather spiritual on the surface, but it's actually demonic. It's a spirit of rebellion manifesting itself, and we need to call it what it is. It's a rebellious spirit, and it's totally out of line with Scripture. And we need to be very clear on what the Scriptures say about this, because there's a lot of rebellion, a lot of confusion in churches today that leads to splits and divisions and people breaking off and separating and turning against the leadership of the church. We need to study this and understand this carefully. Now, let's begin where we left off last time with Hebrews chapter 13. And we're again at the top of page 131 after all that jumping around. Um, we're back at the beginning of page 131. We're now looking at God-ordained, and I must emphasize those words, God-ordained authority in the church. I'm not talking about some man that elevates himself to a position and says, oh, I'm the apostle, I'm the pastor, I'm the boss here, you got to do what I say. I'm talking about God-ordained authority. Okay? Now, let's read these verses again. Hebrews 13, verse 7, and then verse 17. I'm reading from the New King James. They all read about the same, but I like the emphasis here. Remember those who rule over you. 
That's exactly how it reads in both the King James and the New King James. NIV says, your leaders. has a little bit of, of a different feeling. And if you look up the original Greek, it literally means those who rule over you. So King James got it right. Sounds a little harsh, and I think that's why NIV changed it to your leaders, which isn't that different, but it just has a little bit of a different sound. Remember those who rule over you. He's not talking about a dictator. Now, be careful here. That's where people get, get this wrong. We have to identify what does he mean, those who rule over you. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17, obey those who rule over you. Again, in NIV, it's your leaders. Obey your leaders. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I meet well-meaning Christians who, if they really had to honestly answer, they would have to tell you they don't have any leader. They're not submitted to any leader. They're doing their own thing. Oh, they love God. They read their Bible. They pray. They fast. They sing. They worship. They get revelations. They have dreams and visions. They're doing great things for God. But they don't believe in this stuff about following a man or submitting to any man. And I've I've had to question them from time to time. Well, who's your leader who's over you in the Lord and I point them to verses like this because you're supposed to follow them you're supposed to obey them and you're supposed to be submissive to them so basically what you're telling me is you have no pastor you have no one over you spiritually so you're on your own good luck a scary place to be because listen to listen carefully what verse 17 says again obey those who rule over you and be submissive why for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account i don't have to give account for someone who's not submitted to me the only ones i need to be worried about and be prepared to give an account to God for, are those who are submitted under my care. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to see in some other scriptures, these leaders that the writer to Hebrews is referring to, and they're mentioned in other New Testament passages. These are not dictators. These are not power-hungry narcissists that like to boss people around. 
These are what I like to refer to as humble servant leaders. Humble servant leaders. And notice what Hebrews is telling the believers there to do is these leaders, they've spoken the word of God to you. They're the ones that are teaching, preaching, counseling. Listen to what they're saying to you, but more importantly, follow their faith. And I think we can expand that in some other verses. Follow their example. If their life and their example doesn't match their words, then there might be some reason for concern. But a true servant leader will have a life that goes along with his message. So remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, and here's an important one, consider the outcome of their conduct. What are they living for? What is going to be the ultimate reward, the ultimate goal of their life? Obey them, be submissive to them, for they are watching out, they're caring for your souls. All right, let's move on to some other scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. Again, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, and we urge you, brethren, that's a strong word, we urge you, we're begging you, to recognize King James, uh, I think the regular King James says, to know those, same idea, to recognize or to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. This is a powerful scripture. And I would recommend strongly each one of us study this, pray over it very carefully so that we can understand why Paul is urging them to do this. He says you need to recognize who these leaders are. Identify, recognize those God-ordained authorities, spiritual authorities and leaders that God has placed in your life. Recognize who they are. They're laboring among you, and they are over you in the Lord. doesn't mean they're any better than you. It doesn't mean they're cracking a whip over you. They're some tyrant or dictator or despot, and sadly, some have abused that office in the church and caused a great deal of harm and confusion. Recognize those who labor among you and are over you. New American Standard says, have charge over you. That's a strong word. They have charge over you in the Lord. 
and admonish you, New American Standard says, and give you instruction. Again, we're getting this picture pretty clearly. These are the spiritual leaders that God raised up in the local church to teach, to preach, to instruct, to warn, to admonish, to counsel, and to guide the members of the church. They labor over the church, recognize who they are. They have been given charge over you by the Lord. And putting these two passages together, part of that charge is they watch out for your souls and they must give an account. They're going to have to give an answer to God for what they've done with that position and with that authority. Okay? Study this passage because I think it's very important and it's very often neglected and confused in churches. Many Christians aren't even aware of this passage. But I want to move on. First Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. To the elders among you, so Peter is addressing this specifically to the leaders. I don't have time to go into all of this, but he's literally addressing pastors and people in spiritual leadership, the elders in the church. He's addressing them specifically here. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds. By the way, shepherd is the same word as pastor. He's just confirming the fact that he's really talking to the pastoral leadership of the church. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. Pastor the church. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. We saw in the previous passage, they have been given charge over you. This isn't some kind of an abusive power thing. They've been given charge to care for you. God has charged them and given them authority to care for the flock. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Remember I said earlier, these are servant leaders. They're caring leaders. They care for the flock. They're not just bossing people around. They love the church. They care for the sheep. They're eager to serve. He goes on, not lording it over those entrusted to you. If you're following this in the notes, I've put that in bold. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. God never gave a pastor or any other spiritual leader, 
the license to boss people around, to take control of their lives, to lord over their faith, to start getting into their personal business and telling them what to do. That is not biblical. And there's been a great deal of harm done by leaders who have gone down that road. Peter's very careful. Elders, do not lord it over those who have been entrusted to you. And here it comes. But be examples. These servant leaders, they lead primarily through instruction and through example, not through intimidation, through threats, or through bossing and dictatorial abuse. They do not lord over the church. They lead the church by teaching the Word of God and then by modeling it in their own life, in their own example. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You know, back there in Ephesians 5, I think it's verse 21, just before Paul starts talking about wives submit to your husbands, he says, submit one to another. So really, every one of us needs to have a submissive spirit. And we must all learn how to submit to one another, younger submitting to elders, children submitting to parents, and especially in the church, recognizing that body of elders or leaders that God has raised up in the church. He's given them uh, the ability to teach, to instruct. They have a faith. They have an exemplary life that can lead others in the right way. They're humble. They're servants to the church. And it's those servant leaders that I believe Hebrews 13 was talking about. Remember those leaders. Follow their faith. Obey them. Be submissive to them. For they watch out for your souls. And key word in this passage that we just read in First Peter, going back to verse 2, is the word care. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So these are caring, humble, servant leaders whom God placed in that position. Remember, apostles don't pick their position. They're ordained there by God. Prophets don't exalt themselves to that office. God called them to be prophets, and so forth. All of these leadership positions and offices are filled by God. 
and churches have greatly confused, and I would even have to use a stronger word, perverted this to the point that they now have elections to vote on who's going to be the pastor, who's going to be this, that, and the other. There's nothing in the New Testament about doing that. These are positions decided on by God, and these leaders are given the grace, they're given the gifts, they're given the wisdom, they're given the revelation to function in that particular office. And they, of course, are all under authority also. So, ultimately, everyone is under Christ, the head of the church. Christ is submitted to his Father, and so there's a chain of command that's in operation here. You know, I was really hoping I was going to be able to finish this tonight, but I can see we can't. And I added quite a lot of new material, and even in the fourth and fifth points that we haven't even looked at yet, I've added some more uh, scriptures and a few more thoughts. So I don't want to race through that. So just to finish up with this third point, I want us to look at another portion of Scripture that is not included in your outline, but again, it's found in 1 Peter, and this is in the second chapter, found in 1 Peter chapter 2. It sounds quite a bit like the passage we read earlier from Romans 13 that was written, of course, by Paul. But listen now to Peter's take on this. 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 13, I'll read perhaps down to verse 17, and he even goes on beyond that. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God honor the king, and then he even goes on, like Paul did, to talk to the slaves. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Now, Back to verse 13 here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. We've seen there are a number of different kinds of authorities. There's authority in the home. Submit to that. There's authority in society. He's referring specifically to that here when he talks about the king, the supreme authority, and the governors. He's talking about civil government 
civil authorities. Obey them. Respect them. And thirdly, there's authority that God establishes in the church. And I want to end in 2 Peter, and we're going to come back to this more next time. But last year we did a series on 2 Peter, and if you like, I think the notes and the recordings for that series are still available on our website also. It was entitled, Growing in Grace and Truth. And in particular, if you were not with us for that, you may want to listen to the teachings we did on chapter 2, where Peter talks at length about false teachers, false leaders, false prophets, how to identify them, and what to do when one of them shows up in a church. I just want to read one verse from that whole chapter, Second Peter 2, and in context he's talking about false prophets, false leaders. In verse 10, he says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, and on he goes. But notice that part, they despise authority. One of the common denominators that we found in all of these false leaders, false teachers, false Christ, false apostles, false prophets, all these false leaders, they seem to have one common denominator. They despise authority. And pay close attention to that. It makes it very easy to recognize these false leaders. They are not submitted to authority. And different terms are used for them, wandering stars, and we'll look more at that next time. But notice it goes on to say, they're bold and arrogant, and they're not afraid to slander. They slander different ones that are in positions of authority because they despise authority. And next time we're going to look in part four of how to overcome this parasite spirit, we're going to look in some detail uh, how to identify, and then in part five, how to stay away from people with this kind of a spirit. Because it's like a poisonous gangrene. It's like a cancer. And it destroys churches, it divides, it separates, and it does great harm to the body of Christ. So I just wanted to point out this kind of a hallmark of all these false leaders. Paul refers to them as wolves. They despise authority. And if you and I want to conquer and overcome this parasite spirit, we must learn to submit to authority. Understand that God placed those authorities over our lives for our good. 
It's for our good. And sometimes it may be hard in the moment to submit to that authority, but in the end, God is training us to be humble. He's training us to be obedient. And of course, it starts when we're little infants in learning how to listen to and obey our parents. Then as we begin to get a little older, we have to listen to our teachers in school. And then finally, we get a driver's license. We have to start obeying the traffic laws. We have to start obeying the policemen and submitting ourselves to the governing authorities until finally we reach adulthood. We have to abide by the laws. We have to pay our taxes and so forth. And then finally, when we get saved and God joins us into his church, we have to learn how to recognize and submit to God's authority as it's being manifested in the body of Christ. Let's pray tonight that we can learn how to do this in all of these different arenas, in the home, in the society and workplace, and even in the church, to be submissive, to be submissive. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that naturally we're not submissive. We tend to be rebellious, very stubborn, self-willed creatures, but you're breaking that, you're changing that in us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We're putting off that old lifestyle of stubbornness and rebellion, and we're learning how to yield, how to surrender, how to submit to you, and how to submit to one another. And God, I pray for each one listening to this Bible study tonight that we can recognize those areas of our lives and those individuals in our lives that you've placed there with authority, that we might learn how to respect those authorities, listen to those authorities, submit to those authorities, and, Lord, realize that you've placed them there for our safety, for our growth, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and that we will do well as we learn how to submit in all of these areas of our lives. God, I pray that you would break any parasite spirit that might try to infiltrate our lives, any spirit of rebellion, any spirit of division or divisiveness, any spirit that would try to separate brother from brother, sister from sister, or even break up families or marriages. We come against all of those demonic spirits, and we, O oh God, cry out to you for unity in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our culture, and yes, even in our churches. We thank you and we praise you, O oh God, for doing this in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.